Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Matt and Matt Show. I'm Matthew Politis here with my partner Matt Cozy, and it's been a long time, Matt, since we've uh, last done a show. What do you have to say? Welcome to Eavesdrop. Here's your host, Matt Cozy. We have a great episode for you today. Episode 5 of Eavesdrop. One of my best friends on the planet Earth, Matthew Politis, is here today. He's doing big things in the LA area. Uh, He's been in the engineering game for a few years, actually several several years at this point, um, coming out of college. And uh, during our conversation, we'll get into this, but We've done this before. We've hosted a show before, and uh, we have a surprise at the end of this interview as well for you. Um, some previous clips, some old clips of that show, the Matt Matt Show. But uh, that was that show then, and this is this show now. What's up, man? Hey, thanks, thanks for having me. I think you, uh, I appreciate the intro. I think you really oversold me at this point. Some of the guests you've had on so far have quite the resume. So. Well, you got to live up to it now, so no yeah. pressure. <laughs> A big, big twenty minutes right here. Mm. So, what's it like been to live in the LA area? You know, coming from the Chicagoland area, living down the street from each other, growing up. Um, how has it been the last few years? You know, going from Chicago area to St. Louis and then to LA. Yeah. So this, uh, you know, this is definitely not the path I thought my life would take. I never really expected to be living. Uh, in California. So it was, you know, this opportunity presented itself and I just decided I might as well, might as well go for it. Um, you know, obviously the weather is a big factor. The first time I, I flew home for Thanksgiving, it was, it was quite a shock to walk out of the terminal at O'Hare and, you know, the cold blast just hit you right in the face. But, um, you know, aside from that, it's, it's been going really well. I mean, you can be outdoors all, all year round. Um, Work's been going really well, really, really enjoying the, um, the environment there. I think it wound up being a really good fit. Um, and yeah, so I really, really am enjoying it for sure. If you have to compare and contrast, you know, the Chicago market to the LA market, you know, how would you, how would you do that? Um, I would say it just seems like in general people, people out here are a little bit more relaxed. Okay. I think. In, in Chicago, people are tend to be just a little bit more high strung, which I think has been good for me personally. I think it's mellowed me out to a certain extent. Um, my initial take, I guess, when I moved out here was it just seemed like people in general were a little bit more self-absorbed in the Midwest. I think people are a little bit more, um, 
I guess, outgoing and accepting and, um, you know, all those stereotypes, I guess. But I, I think my view has, has changed in general as I've made more friends and established more relationships out here. Um, so I don't necessarily think that any, anymore. But, you know, there's, there's so many things to do out here. And, and again, with the weather being nice all year round, it's easy to be outside and getting involved in different activities. So I think one thing I've definitely noticed is just the, I guess, the obsession with sports that you see in Chicago. You know, everyone is, you know, either a big Cub or White Sox fan or a, you know, Bears fan or, you know, Blackhawks fan, Bulls fan, whatever. Out here, people are a little bit more, um, I think they approach professional sports with a little bit more apathy just because there's so much else going on and so many other things to do. So that's, that's been interesting to see for sure. And if you had any run-ins with people of note over the years at all on the streets or anywhere? Yeah. So actually that's, that's something that, that people ask me all the time. Um, so I, I've actually, I think I've only ran into really three famous people you could say, and they all, they all have a cup connection, believe it or not. No um, way. So, so the, the first one, the first one, I was actually at the World Baseball Classic uh, right when I first moved here, which I guess was spring of 2017 or, or early in the year 2017. And so I went to the World Baseball Classic at Dodger Stadium, and I don't remember who was playing. I think it might have been Puerto Rico and someone else, but I was, I was leaving, um, and I walked past a guy, and he looked super familiar, and I was trying to think, you know, where, where do I know that guy from? And then all of a sudden I realized who it was. It was Milton Bradley. So I, I, I walked back over there and he, he was wearing a Roberto Clemente jersey too. And so I walked back over there uh, to say hi to him. And he was actually really, really friendly. And I, you know, I was like, hey, I, you know, I'm a big Cub fan. I used to watch you on TV. And he was like, hey, you know, good to meet you, whatever. And, you know, so I said goodbye, whatever. And in, in hindsight, you know, this, he didn't exactly leave Chicago on, on good terms. So you know, mentioning that I was a Cub fan might not have been the best idea. Granted, he didn't really leave anywhere right. in good terms, unfortunately. And then I, you know, did some Googling to see what he had been up to. And, you know, he'd been in some legal trouble. So in hindsight, it might have been a, it might have been a better idea to, to stay away. Um, but anyway, so my, my next um, run in, I, I pulled up to a, a stop sign uh, uh, in the Manhattan Beach area. And I looked to my, looked to my left and it's, it's Nomar. I'm like, oh my God, that's Nomar. And he wasn't with Mia. Um, so that was that was my second one. That was obviously pretty brief. And then the third one, um, I was at lunch with several of my coworkers um, near work, also in, in Manhattan Beach. And um, I run into Vince Vaughn and he is a big guy. And I, cause I was just kind of- I do walking. remember you telling me this one. Yeah, and I was kind of just walking with my head down and I look up and I'm like, oh man, that's Vince Vaughn. And I just, I couldn't think of, you know, anything to say to him, but then I just remember that, you know, he's a big Cub fan. And so I just said, Hey, go Cubs. And he's like, Hey, all right, man. And so that was, that was pretty much the extent of that interaction. There you go. So I remember you having an interest in making things for a long time. And I suppose that translates to a more formal interest, you know, through the years with engineering. Is there a point of origin for that? Um, not really. That's, that's a, that's a good question, but, um, I don't know for as, for as long as I can remember, I just, I just liked making things. Um, and I'm definitely still, still that way. And even what I'm doing now, uh, working in the defense industry and helping, you know, plan out different, different space programs, it's really not, not a technical role per se, or it's not as technical as, you know, being, being a, right. an actual engineer, I'm, you know, I'm working with the engineers to help them plan out, 
plan out their work. Um, so I, I, it's definitely a role where it, it helps to have a technical background, but, but the element of my job that I, I think I enjoy more, um, more and more now that I really think about it is, you know, I've created several tools and, um, kind of gotten into coding a little bit and, and made different things that people are kind of using all over the place. And so I, that's, that's a piece of my job that I, that I really enjoy. And so that's something that I kind of might, um, I kind of might start going that direction a little bit more in the next couple, couple years, you know, I've had some discussions with my boss about, you know, you know, possible change, change in roles, you know, in the future. Um, so, so we'll see, but it, there's always, always potential, potentially the opportunity to go back and do something a little bit more technical where I'm, I'm doing more, you know, actual engineering or, or design work. So we'll see, we'll see where the road takes me, but I'm, I'm definitely kind of open to, to doing what, whatever. Um, so yeah, I hope that, hope that answers your question. That's a good mindset. Yeah. Do you have anything that you've worked on, you know, on the side away from being at work or not necessarily? Um, not really. Um, okay. Again, I, I have kind of dabbled in some various yeah. coding language languages in my own. Um, I was working at, I learned some Python actually. And, uh, you know, with, with this, you know, new, you know, as, as the game of baseball kind of moves more and more towards a analytically driven game and, and people are, are realizing the value in, in things like batted ball metrics and, and those kinds of things. Um, an idea I had, and, and it turns out this, this type of thing already exists, but um, I was kind of looking to create some kind of app or software that had, you know, object tracking capabilities to, you know, track things like, uh, you know, exit velocity and launch angle and things like that. Um, cause these, these cameras now that they're putting in phones, I mean, are becoming better and better. And I, and I believe major league baseball has actually moved away from, from a radar based like track man system, you know, to track, um, you know, pitch, pitch metrics and batted ball metrics. And now they're actually using an optically based system in, in a lot wow. of their stadiums because of how track man was, was so popular too. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, those, those radars are expensive. And so these cameras now that they're becoming, you know, more and more powerful and, and cheaper to, to manufacture. I, I think they're kind of moving in that direction. So I, you know, I had this idea on my own where I was going to kind of try and create something, but uh, like I mentioned, um, someone beat me to the punch and there's already some things in the app store, you know, and in, in the Apple app store that do essentially the same thing. So we'll see, we'll see if I have any other, other ideas that, that pop in my head. Cause... Very cool. Well, that's a good transition then. Thanks for doing that. Uh, you do have some, you have some radio skill <laughs> and that is because we were one of the first people to do a podcast. We invented podcasting. I think we did. We get no credit. <laughs> and I was in the process of taking these CDs that I have of the Matt and Matt show, which is a show that we did, uh, I believe in your, in your room. Yeah, so my my room was was the recording studio. Used to take right. a note on the door saying, "Don't open, we're recording in progress." There you go. And I, I've been putting these CDs, and I've been uh, making digital editions of those. You know, putting them on my on my laptop. And so I believe I have the 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 brunt of the time frame down. I think it was it was seventh seventh grade to like the middle of freshman year of high school. Yeah, so our first show would have been like 2004-ish. Mm -hmm. And we did a show on baseball. You know, both grew up loving baseball, playing baseball. And 
it, it, it is in a way funny to look back on because we were doing a show on the internet, even though we just burned it to a CD for our, our family and, and maybe a couple close friends. But we, we were doing this so long ago. It's, it's weird to think about how, how that's evolved. And, and it, it was good memories looking back on that. They were able to do that show and, um, you know, kind of play radio, play in the sandbox, so to speak. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like I mentioned before, you know, before we got started here, I'm actually recording this episode on my end using the same microphone that we, we, we used to use, which I probably bought at Best Buy for like 1999, you know, 15 years yeah. ago, or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, we had to do some kind of funny things back in the day that were pretty low tech. I think we just used like the windows, the windows audio recorder, and it would only limit you to a minute. So I had to play some games to Wow. And make it work for, you know, however long our show was, because I think sometimes, you know, they went upwards of, you know, an hour. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a long time ago, but uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to remember why we even got that going. I think it was just a, something to do to hang out and talk about baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it was maybe partially partially driven on, you know, your aspirations to, you know, um, join you know the sports writing um field and and things like that so i think i think well maybe a little bit of foreshadowing there yeah yeah and i'm gonna preview something that's coming up after our conversation but i wanted to do a version of the matt and matt show on here and talk about you know a lot of the discussion on there back then was was cubs related both of us being big cubs fans Mm -hmm. The current state of the Cubs, obviously with the pandemic, is a little bit in flux. But you know, I've been watching the Last Dance documentary. I don't know if you've kept kept up with that or not. Oh yeah, every every Sunday. It's solid. Yeah, it was that was a great five five weeks of that. Mm-hmm. Really well done. But you know, I think for the current Cubs, with so many guys, their contracts coming up, and members of the front office too, there's almost an opportunity for a Last Dance for them. Yeah, um, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens in the, the coming years because a lot of their their young core is you know they're going to start getting pretty expensive and I think like you know um, like Anthony Rizzo's contract is coming up soon in the next couple of years and the Cubs kind of got a bargain on him you know obviously a lot has been made about the the Chris Bryant situation and the purported uh, service time manipulation and. Some of these other players like uh, Baez and Contreras, I think they're due up for arbitration in the next year or two. I I don't know exactly where they're at. Um, But it'll also be interesting to see in the next collective bargaining agreement how some of this stuff changes because I think they're trying, you know, I think the Players Association is, you know, seeing what happened with with Brian and several other players and trying to come up with ways to mitigate any type of service manipulation, service time manipulation, and, you know, having players potentially enter free agency earlier because it, it just feels like the game is changing with, with more and more young talent. Teams are less incentivized to sign players who have been around for a while to longer term contracts because they know, you know, there's so much, you know, younger talent potentially coming through the, type, the pipeline soon. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what, what the Cubs do. I think in, in general, they're, you know, they're kind of hampered a little bit by some of the, some of the, the big contracts they do have, like, uh, like Hayward, um, and then I think Kimbrel's deal has turned out to be not so great so far, obviously, you know, only a half a season or so into it. Um, 
but you know, I, I really was looking forward to the the NL Central race this year. I think it was it was going to be an interesting Definitely. year. I think there's a lot of parity in the NL Central. A, a team that really intrigued me, believe it or not, was the Cincinnati Reds, uh, with the additions of Castellanos and uh, I think Bauer was was traded to them last year. But there's several other players that have kind of become, uh, you know, a secondary fan of you know, aside from the Cubs, like Derek Dietrich and Michael Lorenzen. I, f- I follow him on social media. He's just a, an animal in the gym. Uh, and some, several of their other players, uh, the Aristides, uh, I forgot how to, how to say his last name. I'll probably butcher it. I think it starts with an A, but he was an intriguing rookie last year. So, I, you know, with, with that, with those types of hitters in a, in a ballpark, like, like Great American Ballpark, assuming they still call it, call it that with all these teams changing, yeah. Guess, sponsorships, but you know, the ball just flies there. So with, with a high powered offense, if they get some, some pitching, uh, you know, I thought they had a chance to be pretty good this year. So we'll see once, you know, hopefully we can get things underway here. You know, they're talking about July, so we'll see what happens. But aside from that, you know, the Cardinals are going to be pretty solid again. I'm sure the Brewers, obviously the Cubs. So it was, it was shaping up to be, to be in a pretty intriguing year. And I, and I will say, I think a lot, you know, was made in the off season about the limited, limited number of, of moves that the Cubs made, but I think I was in, in the minority in thinking that they really didn't need to make, make a whole lot of changes. I think th- things obviously didn't end the way they had hoped last year, but I really felt like they had a chance to be very competitive with, with the group that they had. Um, so yeah. Was- I think that's been a big misnomer for a couple off seasons possibly is the, the lack of activity. Mm-hmm. Number one, because activity doesn't always equal achievement. So, you obviously have to play out the season, see if these moves pay off. But yeah, what did you want them to do aside from maybe a couple pieces to the bullpen being added? Mm-hmm. Uh, but just, yeah, the way you, know, you detailed all the contract situations there, the way that they're set up and payroll wise, the only way they would have made moves at all is by trades anyways. Yeah, exactly. And so. I wonder if you know that's going to be on the table again. You know, obviously things have, have been changed now with, with the timeline and the calendar of the season. But just looking back on the last five years, it's been fun as a Cubs fan. Um, you know, seeing the the path and the journey that Theo, Jed, and Jason McLeod, you know, took that franchise down. And, um, you know, especially with Joe Madden in the dugout running, running things. And, hmm. you know, possibly not a great break up there. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, but you know, they, they did what they said they were going to do. You know, they weren't able to cultivate a lot of pitching depth. You know, they, they made up for that in the free agent market and maybe overpaid for a couple guys, but you know, they targeted hitters and all their main core players were hit, you know, at least for those couple of years. Mm, for sure. Yeah, you know, I think we we need to constantly remind ourselves that we're we're in the golden age of Cub baseball, and it's easy to get. They to won get- the World Series, folks. <laughs> it's it's you know we should we should be you know, I guess I don't want to say satisfied, but we should be glad that we got to live through that. But um, I think it's it's important to remember that this team is you know in in the midst of a sustained period of success that we've really never never seen, and even even in our lifetime, we've had the opportunity to see probably more competitive cub teams than, than, you know, a generation prior. When you think about, you know, 19, I guess 1998, we were a little bit young, but you know, they went to the, they won the wild card game that year, uh, went to the playoffs. Um, let's see, 2003, obviously a heartbreaking year. 
07, 08. And then this last period of several years, you know, obviously aside from, from last year. Um, so we've really got to see a lot of, a lot of competitive Cubs teams. And then your original question regarding Joe Madden, you know, obviously Joe did something, you know, that hasn't been done in a hundred, that hadn't been done in over a hundred years, which is right. the world series and win. But I, I really do think that his time, that his time was, was over. And I think it was the right, the right time for him to go. Um, I'm, I'm actually pretty happy in the, with the direction that the Cubs went in with, with choosing, with choosing, choosing David Ross. I, I kind of felt initially that, you know, maybe he might not be the best choice because he obviously has played with the vast majority of the guys on the team. And that might create kind of a, a weird dynamic where all of a sudden your, your, um, your coworker is now your boss, so to speak. But yeah. I think at this point we need to give Theo credit where credit's due. He has a, a proven track record of making great decisions. And so, um, I, you know, hopefully we can get underway here to see how things ultimately, ultimately turn out. I've always been fascinated by how they measure a manager's worth, especially now they're able to measure so many different categories. And we had a really good conversation over the winter when you were home around new year's about lineups. And I really liked your points about lineup construction mm-hmm. and maybe we're mad and missed the, missed the boat on that. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of if you could get into that for a minute or two just about constructing a lineup because of course in terms of personnel they didn't necessarily have a leadoff hitter mm-hmm. but the point is to bat your best guys one through five mm-hmm. and he really tinkered and kind of danced around maybe one too many times yeah for for sure and, and I remember that conversation we had and I think it comes down to one of those differences between kind of the old school game and the new school game. Yeah. And a lot of these analytics and a lot of the ways they can measure things and model things. I think more and more people are realizing that instead of this classical kind of put, put your, you know, your fast guy, you know, lead off, put your guy that can bunt second and then you know, put your power hitters three, four, five. I think that's that mindset is changing a lot to where let's, like you said, just find your, your best five or so hitters and hit them, hit them one through five. I think way too much is made of who your who your leadoff hitter is. Um, I, I think again, just find your find your five best guys and put them towards the top of the lineup. And I think that's something that Joe definitely didn't agree with when we saw things like like you know Albert Almora hitting hitting leadoff, and um, I think he had you know Tony Kemp hitting leadoff for a while when it, with his brief stay. So it's just like you know those kinds of things just were were frustrating to see. And as it turned out, you know. It, it, the swing between making the playoffs and not, you know, could just be a couple of games. And so those types of decisions could wind up holding a lot of weight and being the difference between you making, making the playoffs or not. And I think, I think in general, obviously there were other issues with Joe. I think he, he brought a mindset and a, a culture that the Cubs needed to, to finally break free of this curse and kind of keep things light and, and um, kind of keep the pressure, pressure off. is it wasn't one of his sayings, don't let the, the pressure exceed the pleasure or something like that. Exactly, yep. So I think, you know, at the time, he, he was the right guy. But I think as the, the team evolves, I think, you know, we had heard some, some rumors that, you know, he had some difficulty keeping guys accountable. And I think guys had maybe kind of fallen back on their, um, on their laurels a little bit. And so bringing in a guy like David Ross, who had the reputation for really holding guys accountable and, and you know, kind of getting in the face of his teammates if he felt like he, you know, they weren't pulling their weight. You know, again, I, you got to trust Theo that he's making the right decision. He had, you know, he's 
probably one of the, I mean, he is one of the best baseball executives in the history of the game. He has a history of making good decisions and winning world series. So at this point you got to trust that he, that he made the right, right decision there. And then to, I'm going to get you out of here on this question. Then we'll get a preview, some, some audio as we descent into, into the archives, but looking at this season, a potentially 82 game season, hopefully they come back. I think they had, they had some momentum in their favor and it's kind of stalled now, but, but I'm still optimistic as a fan. I think there's opportunities to be for this to be a really weird season, really unique, kind of wild, Um, you know, 82 games, you might have a team or two that sneaks in, you know, randomly or have some league leaders that are able to do big things and maybe they would normally hit a wall midway through or so, but then, Hey, the season's over after 82 games. So what are you looking forward to most in what could be a unique season? That's only 50% of the schedule. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, I think it'll be interesting to see if they, you know, try, you know, I think we've heard some rumors that they might try some different things. Like maybe there'll be a, a DH in the NL. Maybe they'll, they'll do some things with the schedule. My, my personal prediction was always that they were just going to have to wait, you know, wait this out as, as long as they could, and then kind of just pick up the schedule from where, where it was. So I don't, I don't know what the plan is there, obviously. I don't think anyone does. Right. Um, so I, I guess I kind of, I kind of forgot the original question. <laughs> well, it would <laughs> <laughs> the original question was if you're what are you looking forward to most about an 82 game season just based on the randomness that that's possible but are you for the DH a universal DH cuz you brought that up yeah i i kind of like the weird quirk of the game which is the NL has it or the NL Come doesn't on. the NL doesn't have it and the and the AL does um yeah. i you know i saw someone and i don't know if where this idea came from but i i heard someone come up with the idea that your DH, you know, both leagues would have the DH and the DH would stay in the game for as long as the starting pitcher would stay in the game. And then once the starting pitcher comes out, you have to drop the DH and, um, you know, and then the reliever's hitting in that spot. So then you like that. So it's, it's kind of another, it's an interesting quirk. And I think it would, it would bring back a little bit of the the national league strategy to both the American league and and the national league. But at the end of the day, you know, fans aren't paying to come watch a pitcher swing the bat. They want to see, you know, a real hitter <laughs> swing the bat. So exactly. Um, so it'll 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 definitely. I think at this point, everyone's just you know, you know, hoping and looking forward to actually being able to watch live sports, even if it's just on TV, because it seems like being able to watch sports in person again this year might might not happen, unfortunately. Um, right, but hopefully we could watch it together. You know, maybe at someone's home or. You know, if restaurants do get back, you know, you can watch watch the Cubs or other sports on, on the TV. Mm. Um, yeah, just kind of a wait and see, wait and see mode. Mm. So. so after Dexter Fowler left the Cubs in 2016, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, the Cubs have never really had a leadoff guy. Mm. And how much that really matters, you know, discussing lineup construction there. I don't know, but it would have been nice to have a table setter that was pretty consistent. You're able to write in a guy every day. I think there's still some advantages to that. Mm-hmm. And one leadoff hitter the Cubs did have in the mid-2000s, it was actually a, a one-and-done guy because he was with the Cubs only one season, I'm pretty sure, it was Juan Pierre. Mm-hmm. They traded for him one offseason, 
And that was right in the midst of the Matt and Matt show. And our public relations arm of the show was able to lock up an interview with Juan Peter. Do you remember this? I, I, I remember. <laughs> and we were able to have an interview with him. He, he dialed in and believe it or not, two middle school kids interviewed who was then Cubs center fielder Juan Pierre. And so, uh, Matthew P., thanks for coming on today, and we're going to transition to that interview now. Anything else you want to say? Final words. You want, let's preview the interview. What do you remember most? So uh, so I, I remember that, obviously, very vividly, and I can't wait to hear how, how different our, our voices sound. Um, but that was – Oh, mine is bad, folks. <laughs> that was a big uh, that was a big acquisition that the Cubs made. I think it was either after the 2000. It was. It was a big move. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, that was an exciting time um, for the for to be a Cub fan, obviously, and um, an exciting time for the Matt and Matt show, for sure. It it was so, all right. We um, go back in the archives now. This is what was that? What did you say? I was going to say just my my other. My other parting thoughts are, you know, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. It's it's been great. You know, the show's been great so far. Um, so hope hope to get I, to see you soon in person. When all yeah, that'd be great, man. Going. And I appreciate you saying those things. It's been fun to do the show, and uh, at least going to do it through the summer, and then we'll see what happens after that. But um, and then it, you know, if baseball comes back, I'd love for you to jump on again. You know, I'd love to do some more like themed shows. Um, you know, I love the concept of this show, catching up with people, but you know, if baseball comes back, I would love to jump on for 20, 30 minutes, just about the Cubs. For sure. Uh, so if yeah, you're interested in that, there's the offer on the air for you. Yeah, no more the more than welcome. Um, I just, I feel so unplugged right now with, with nothing, you know, obviously with no games happening. I, I know forgot, forgot half of the Cubs roster. I'll have to go. <laughs> you got to study up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the Matt and Matt Show from 2004 to 2006. This interview with Juan Pierre is from December 2005. It's right in the thick of our Matt and Matt Show run. Enjoy. We have him on the line right now. So, Matt, uh, let's talk to the newest Cubs center fielder, Juan Pierre. Okay, Juan, welcome to the show. Are you excited about being a Chicago Cub? Definitely. Uh, it's been a, a couple weeks here just wondering, waiting to see uh, where I'll go. It seemed like the last week it's been a different team every day, but um, I'm definitely excited to, uh, to, to be a Chicago Cub and um, uh, help to be a part of everything. Hey there, Juan. Uh, has Derek Lee or Ryan Dempster talked to you about becoming a Cub? Uh, Derek, Derek Lee did. I've talked to Derek Lee. Uh, I never had a chance to play with Ryan Dempster. He was gone before I got here. But, uh, yeah, Derek Lee called, and I wanted to call him when I found out this morning, but he was on West Coast time, and I didn't want to wake him up. But uh, definitely he, he told me that he's excited um, that I'm going to love Chicago. So I'm really excited uh, to be his teammate again. Juan, what do you think the key is to being a great leadoff man? Um, number one is to get on base, you know, a lot of people, you know, make, you know, as far as walks and um, seeing pitches and, and stuff like that. But I think the bottom line is trying to get on base, whether it's a walk or a hit or whatnot. And um, um, once you get on, me personally, you know, I try to create as most havoc as I can, you know, try to disrupt the pitcher. You know, it's not necessarily always stealing the base. It's just 
just the threat of stealing the base. And um, hopefully I give Derek Lee and Ramirez and all those guys behind me um, good pitches to hit and some nice fastballs. But uh, definitely the number one thing, you know, to be a good leadoff hitter is, is number one is just to get on base. Well, Juan, uh, how hard hard was it to watch uh, that, that uh, just – Watching all your Marlin teammates just be shipped off, shipped off elsewhere. How hard was that to watch? Uh, it's, it's been it's been definitely hard. You know, guys you build on friendship with and and bonds with. You know, you see them just getting pecked off one by one, and you knowing that you're gonna be one of them, and it's just a matter of time is when and where. And um, uh, the situation here is bad, but um, like you said, I'm looking forward to. Uh, to be in a Cub with, you know, every year they're, they're in the thick of things and um, they do what it takes to, uh, to be competitive. And, um, and uh, I'm just excited to go out and play in front of, you know, 40,000 fans every day and things like that. And um, that's something I've never been a part of because both teams I've been on, the Rockies and the Marlins, are both expansion teams. So, you know, to play with a uh, historical uh, background and have a following, um, I'm really excited about I know you'll be the first one to admit it, but last year wasn't one of your best years. Can you tell us more? Um, no, just um, just had an off year. You know, uh, um, as seen when you've been mentioning the trades and stuff like that, they show my last number of years on TV and stuff. And it's, you know, for me it was an embarrassing year, very disappointing year. But um, I know I can I can play, and I know I'm better than that. And um, looking forward to it to get a fresh start with the Cubs. But um, definitely I know. Uh, I can play better than that, and um, it's just a matter of me going out there and, and, and getting back to form. But um, no way am I, you know, panicking and, 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 and trying to um, do those type things. Because even, you know, as bad as the year I had, you know, it, it, it could have been a lot worse. But um, definitely uh, I know that um, I, I, I got to change and get it back for next year. Well, thanks again, Juan, uh, for your time, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the Cubs outfield. Hope you enjoyed that blast from the past right there, interview from the Matt and Matt show in 2005 with then-Cubs outfielder Juan Pierre. Really cool opportunity to get that chance to talk to a Major League Baseball player as a middle school kid. So, as always, thanks for listening to the show. Have a little bit of a homework assignment for you this week. If you're someone that's enjoyed these first few episodes of Eavesdrop, tell somebody about the show and uh, include them on what's going on here. Having a lot of fun doing this. Joe Rogan just signed an exclusive deal for his podcast to be only on Spotify. We haven't done that yet, but a major outlet for this show so far has been Spotify. A large percentage of the listeners are coming from Spotify. So maybe copy that link um, from the eavesdrop show page. Send that somebody's way and include them on what's going on here. So once again, thanks for listening. I'm Matt Cozy, and this is Eavesdrop. Tell your friends. See ya!